I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. We shall overcome. Yes, we can. Person, woman, man, camera, TV. What the fuck is wrong with you? Welcome to What the Franklin. I'm Chip Franklin here with you. Uh, follow us on iTunes and Spotify and, of course, on YouTube or just go to whatthefranklin.com. Thank you again for being here. Big show today. We're going to dive deep into Trump's tax returns coming up in just a few minutes. Um, also try to get behind the whole mess with Ticketmaster and Taylor Swift. Now, for many of us, I can't remember the last time I went to a concert and, and went through you know a ticketing agency like Ticketmaster, but it's a freaking nightmare. And so we'll get to that. We'll also talk about um, gun violence in this country. And I know uh, conservatives say it's not gun violence, it's people violence. It's 400 million guns in this country. And this year, there have been over 600 mass shootings. So, yeah, it's a gun problem. We'll get to that. We'll speak to some folks and try to figure out, is this a local or national issue? And, and can you do anything locally with no borders between states? That's a big question. Uh, and a little bit later on, Mr. Hollywood, uh, Bill McCuddy will be with us. We'll talk a little bit about the world of streaming and just how I don't even watch regular TV anymore. Have you guys made the, the switch? Have you pulled the plug? Because I did. I got rid of uh, my Spectrum account and now I'm um, YouTube TV, which I love. I think it's like 65 bucks a month. It gets everything except local San Diego Padres games and I'll work that out in the spring. Anyway, uh, so obviously we've been following a lot with Elon Musk and Twitter. And, you know, one of the things that, that always gets me is, let me just play, this is from Tulsi Gabbard. You might remember Tulsi Gabbard, but here she is bitching about the fact that um, liberals or just Americans are saying, you know, you can't go on and spout lies that could hurt people. That's a crime. Or at the very least, it's a it's it's a um, it's a civil offense. Anyway, this is her on Fox News again talking about us, the other side. Listen up. Right, Laura, big time. You know what's interesting to me is that before Musk bought Twitter, I don't recall hearing anyone from the Biden administration or the Washington establishment or the EU complaining about how dangerous Twitter is or how it poses. They don't complain because we're not lying about COVID. We're not lying about the election. I say we, I mean, just normal human beings. Um, <laughs> anyway, I promise this, uh, this next guy's with us here. He is uh, not only the co-founder of the Lincoln Project uh, and a former Republican. He's author of Running with the Devil and Everything Trump Touches Dies. Rick Wilson joins us here on What the Franklin. Hello, Mr. Wilson. Oh, we don't get any volume. We have no volume from you. Um, well, while you work on that, I'm going to play a little bit of something here for everybody. This uh, I, this guy is is an interesting. How's that? There he is. I got you now. What? I had you now. You there, Rick? Love live TV, don't you? Hey, how are you? All right, bud. Hey, um, John is a beautiful thing, my friend. <laughs> Let me ask you. I'm going to play this real short clip, and then I have three questions, all and one question for you. Okay. Number one is Trumpism dead. Right. No. That's one question. What's the short and long term future of the GOP and what the hell is is wrong with this next guy? This man will change the Republican Party. You know, Herschel. <laughs> what <laughs> what happened? Let me answer the easy question first. What's okay. wrong with what's wrong with Herschel Walker? Every goddamn thing you can think of, Chip. The so guy I meant Lindsey Graham. And I, I don't mean this in a. Oh, oh, well, Lindsey Graham, that's a whole yeah. basket of pathologies on its own. Uh, look, Lindsey Graham is is a is a very desperate soul seeking the next pilot fish or, to, to, or seeking the next shark to, to his pilot fish. He cannot find his way since the death of John McCain. He is whipsawed back and forth between pro-Trump, anti-Trump, MAGA, establishment, rhino, crazy, back and forth. He is a lost soul. I really does feel he, bad for Lindsey. Does he have any I skills know. though, Rick? I mean, Lindsay is. I was. I was just going to get to that. Lindsay is actually not a stupid person. He actually understands how the Senate works and and could play, could I say in a in a very conditional way, could play a valuable role. Um, but he has made himself into this untrusted and untrust. 
um, you know, the 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 handful of non-insane, non-MAGA types in the Senate look at Lindsay as their friend at best. The MAGAs look at Lindsay as, you know, either a threat because he, you know, he's got a great skill of sucking up to Trump and getting back in Trump's good graces, or as uh, as a fair weather friend as well. So they're, 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 it's hard to be Lindsey Graham. It really, it's tough to be Lindsey Graham. Um, the, uh, and, and he's not an unlikable person. In person, he's an affable right. guy. He's not, he's not a shitbird. He's not a, he doesn't act like that one-on-one. Um, I like Lindsey on, on one level, but, but he is completely unreliable. And no one, I mean, this is the problem with being a guy, someone who doesn't stick to their principles and stick to their guns. He is a guy who said Donald Trump will destroy the Republican Party and then said he's the greatest president of my lifetime. I don't know how you square that circle, but Lindsey cannot. When I was when I was in Baltimore and I was working on WBAL, um, I got mm-hmm. to know Bob Ehrlich pretty well, the governor. of Sure. And, yeah. And yep, Steele, yep. Right. I um, actually a lot really well. I, I got to go to my wife and I got to go to the governor's mansion once. And I'm not a mm-hmm, Republican. Mm-hmm. But I, I wasn't a progressive liberal then, right? This was like 2002, sure. three, something like that. And um, it was interesting to see and to hear him and then to see where he went because th- that was a prime example of a guy. I mean, I, we golfed together and I got to know this guy. Same with Duncan Hunter. I mean, these are guys that at one sure. point, you pull them out of that world and they seem like normal people for the most part. And then some, I don't know if it was fear, I mean, everybody jokes about Lindsey Graham and there's photographs somewhere, but I, to me, it's much well, more uh, based Chip, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how, I'll tell you the process that I've analyzed as a, as a sort of anthologist of this, this phenomenon. In the beginning of ambition, where they thought Trump is stupid, the people around him are stupid, I can manipulate him. That's what Paul Ryan thought. That's what Lindsey thought. That's what, an awful, that's what Mitch McConnell thought. An awful lot of these Republicans who should have known better who should have known they were dealing with a con man, um, got themselves suckered. They got themselves drawn into this bullshit from this guy. And and it then evolved into fear because they started going home to their town hall meetings and the Trump voters and the red hat guys were like, no, no, you have to be with Mr. Trump 100% of the time on everything all the time, or we're going to get you primaried and we're going to destroy you politically. And frankly, there's also an element in the minds of a lot of Republicans, and I, I know many of them who have expressed this to me personally uh, and privately, who say, I'm afraid for my family if I don't, if I don't bang yeah. this guy. These people are nuts. They're going to come to my house. I, I had a member of Congress, I wrote about him in my first book, who told me, he goes, I came off a town hall meeting where I didn't agree with Trump on everything, and my wife's phone was 911-ing me because she was getting death threats within an hour of the of the beginning of this town hall meeting she's getting death threats because the magas in the audience are so yeah we're having a, a, so yeah. it, it but, but that Rick, fear you know, that fear has evolved wait, I want, let me just wrap this one piece up that fear has now evolved into a very cynical belief that that they can maintain their integrity privately that they can say i don't like any of that stuff but that they can play the maga base QAnon crazies and the racist for suckers and and that i think is one of the most pernicious and dangerous things i've ever seen in politics is you can't well I, I, can we curse on the show or yeah we yeah well, that's uh, all right well, let me say there's a, a there's a phrase the guy that used to run our hunt camp when i was a kid growing up where we used to uh, go bird and deer hunting he had a phrase he's like you can't fuck a rattlesnake that rattlesnake's going to turn on you at some point you can't fuck a rattlesnake and and these guys were fucking the rattlesnake they didn't understand it at first yeah but and now they now they're so deep into it that the political advantage in the primary system the perverse incentives in the republican primary system have become so profound of you know Take the shitbird position, take the bad position, you know, say the election was stolen, lie about everything all the time, and and embrace this conspiracy and this cruelty and all this insanity. And and they're like, well, that plays off in the primary, so I'm gonna do it. Talking to Rick Wilson, uh, co-founder of Lincoln Project, author of uh, Running with the Devil, um, everything Trump touches dies. Here's the thing that there was a time. If you were a Republican and you wanted to defeat a Democrat, all you have to do is pull out an appropriations bill and say, look at sure. this. Look at this. this sure. way, where's this? Who a million dollars going to, you know, to right. study canaries? I mean, that right. was 
That was a winning ticket. Hell, I can remember. I did an ad one time. I did an ad one time because a member of Congress voted to build a tunnel under a road for turtles. <laughs> well, and Proxmire, it was like a, a Proxmire? million dollar, a million dollar project. And I was like, a million dollar turtle tunnel. How does that help our community? You know, whatever the hell it was. And, and you're right, though. But now, I mean, now the Republicans they talk about spending. You know, they passed a 1.7 trillion trillion with a T dollar tax cut that yeah. 85% of the benefits, and I say this as a fiscal conservative aggressive, 85% of the benefits to that went to people with an average income of over $150 million. Yeah. It benefited basically about 200 families and businesses in this country, the vast bulk of the tax cut. Get the hell out of here. Um, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes. Um, uh, House Ways and Means has the taxes now. Uh, Trump's six returns. Yep. I don't know what they're going to find that, you know, that Treasury didn't, but we'll see. Um, also, probably moving forward, you know, you look at um, the McConnell and others that used to be allies of Trump. And I don't know who his allies are now. Names I don't recognize. The Carrie Lakes of the world who are calling. Carrie Lake called for a violence, you know, to overturn the Arizona mm -hmm. election. I mean, the, um, to me, that... I, you know, the, the Kinzigers and Cheneys, there's more of them. They were just silent. You know, maybe they didn't feel they could stand up. They got to stand up to this, obviously, as but, Trump moves but, towards. But Chip, what? Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think there are a few right now who are willing to go out and say, I'm not going to back Trump. This is ridiculous. He's off the reservation. He's with racists and anti-Semites. And right now they're saying it. You know what? I knew, I knew a lot of Republicans in 2016 who said, He's insulted John McCain, the, the memory of a, a heroic POW. He's insulted veterans. He's mocked the disabled. He's done this. He's done that. I could never. And you know what they did? They voted for the guy and they supported him and yeah. they backed him and they raised money for him and they did everything they could to make sure that he got reelected in 2020. I, I, I think this sort of like barroom courage we're seeing from a few of these guys, the minute Trump wins, a, wins one primary and he will. He will win a primary. He sure. will win more than one. Because even if Trump has 15% of the Republican base and you've got five or six other people spreading the peanut butter over that big piece of toast, he's gonna have he's gonna have the majority in Iowa and South Carolina and New Hampshire. And he's gonna rack up delegates quickly because he has more name ID than anybody else, including the you know current boy wonder Ron DeSantis. And all of those people. All those big donors who are like, I'm not with Trump. I'm going to stay away from him now. They will bend the knee. They will come back. They will bow down. They will They will absolutely revert to the same position they were in in 2016. You sound like Joe Walsh. They, they know. Exact same thing you're saying. Walsh, Joe Walsh. They, they exactly know who this guy is. And they're going to, yeah. yeah. They, they know who this guy is. And they're still going to stick with him. Here's an irony, it, Rick. It, that DeSantis mm -hmm. actually strengthens Trump. Uh, a national DeSantis sure. actually makes Trump stronger. And people go, what? No. If you listen to the guy try to speak on a position. I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, and that's I, a smart Chip, thing. I could not agree does. more. Trump does not go into the details. Mm -hmm. Trump just, you know, he and when, when DeSantis does, he sounds, he really honestly sounds like somebody that lost their way in the middle of a speech without a teleprompter and has no idea where to go. And of course, when you do that on a national stage, remember, oh God, was it Perry that came up with, I got three things to say. One, yeah, he said, I got three departments I want to cut. And it's the yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> Department of Education, the, uh, mm, and, and it, you know, that that debate that Ron DeSantis had with Trist when, you know, and Charlie is a spent force in Florida politics. Is, you know, it was always going to be, Ron DeSantis had every advantage in the book. He should have never debated. Because he he laid himself open to something that Trump picked up on immediately. In that debate, when Charlie Crist, who's a wily old dog, if nothing else, I've known the guy since 87, he's still got a trick or two up his sleeve. Well, we're not friends, but he's got a trick or two up his sleeve. He says to Ron DeSantis, are you going to run for president? And DeSantis stood there on, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date us, Chip, on tilt, his brain on reset, <laughs> going beep, 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 boop, boop, boop. Gang, 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 gang. And he couldn't answer. And I promise you, when Trump saw that moment, when Trump watched Ron DeSantis uh, lock up like that, that feral, rabid, animal cunning of Donald Trump in his brain said, 
I will eat this guy alive. I will rip him limb from limb and beat him to death. And I believe it. If they get in the arena together, I think people are going to be shocked how quickly um, DeSantis gets a stupid nickname and finds himself flailing around and tries to give Donald Trump a nickname in return. And it goes bing, 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 and a back and forth. And it just goes crazy. Well, Rick, I know you got a hard out. I appreciate your time. I think that um, that we're going to learn a lot in the next uh, six Delighted months. Delighted to be with you as always, Chip. I got a, I got a couple more minutes. If you had the, you had, you had two questions at the top. We got, we sort of went back okay, and yeah. forth. Is Trumpism dead? Is Trumpism no, dead? And, and another, no, okay. And that, that, Stronger than ever. Stronger than ever. Really? Really? Um, can he win? The authoritarian national, the authoritarian nationalism that defines Trumpism has never been more powerful in American society. There is no principled concern. Um, it just doesn't exist anymore. Um, mm. The the path to Trump winning, absolutely. He can win the primary. There there are more scenarios where Trump wins the primary as of today, you know, all externalities, you know, control for, um, than doesn't. The, 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 the idea of a Nikki Haley or a Chris Christie beating Donald Trump is laughable. The idea, even Ron DeSantis, let's say Ron DeSantis raises $250 million. The, the, the benefit of that money in a Republican primary is de minimis. It, it, does not, it doesn't do the work it used to do. Um, and can he win the general? It, you know, look, again, that's a long road. There will be a lot of people posting up and fighting hard against him, myself included, um, and our, my organizations included. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, Donald Trump is a formidable candidate. Uh, he's still, even as wounded as he is, a wounded bear is still dangerous. Yeah, even more dangerous. Um, have yeah. we underestimated Biden? Uh, you know, for for it's it's a rare day where Newt Gingrich and I agree, um, but I thought people misunderestimated, as they said in the Bush world, uh, Joe <laughs> Biden from the beginning. And I told somebody this in the very beginning, a Democratic friend who said, oh, my God, he's just so. Uh, I'm like, listen, don't mistake the fact that he's affable for the fact that he doesn't understand how to work the Senate and how he to work knows, Washington yeah. and how to work the House and how to deal with people and how to make relationships because he does. And I, I'm going to blow my Republican friend's brains right now. The, the president that Joe Biden most resembles in the stylistic nature of his relationship. Uh-oh, Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Yeah. Who was I've heard that. Who was extraordinary. He was extraordinary at getting sitting down with you know, Tip O'Neill or whoever it was that he had to, or who had to face up against on the Democratic side and saying, OK, look, you don't like me. I don't like you. You don't like what I want to do. I don't like what you want to do. But we got to move forward in some way. Let's find a Let's find a simple thing we can agree on. Let's find a small thing we can agree on. And and that built a relationship that allowed people to do things. I know this word is 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 alien now to our culture in a bipartisan fashion that people really liked. And I think that's one thing that's Biden, a strength of Biden's people have underestimated from the start. Yeah, I, I, I think that there's a good chance that he could run and win again. Rick, I got to run. Thank I you so too. much for your time. Thank I you, really Chip. Appreciate, appreciate you. Anytime. Well, Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. You too. Again, that is author and co-founder of the Lincoln Project, uh, Rick Wilson. Um, his stuff is great. So what will happen to Trump's taxes? House Ways Means Committee now have their hands on six years of Donald Trump's federal tax returns. The Treasury Department confirms that it has complied with a court-approved order to release the returns after the Supreme Court refused to stop it last week. The chair. So who better to go and talk about taxes than our, my good friend Steve Moskowitz, uh, founder and CEO of MoskowitzLLP.com. Steve, um, first of all, taxes reveal a lot about a person. You can look at somebody's returns and tell a lot about them, right? Yes, you can. Coincidentally, six years is the criminal statute of limitations period. Really? Yes. And um, a lot can be told from tax returns, but there's a lot they don't tell. So here's what we have to watch out for. How much detail comes along with them? And did somebody tell the truth on the returns or not? For example, the most common area of criminal prosecution is where somebody does, just doesn't report their income. So you have income from a business, you just don't report it. By definition, it's not on the return. On the other hand, you can see a lot from a return. And then what about the detail? So for example, if you said your income was a billion dollars, well, where'd that come from? If you saw, oh, well, 100,000 came from this shady source and 
a million came from that shady source, as opposed to it all came from your proceeds of being a professor at the school down the street. So the bottom line is they can definitely tell a lot, but there's a lot they don't tell. So that's what an audit is. In order, they just don't look at the return and say, well, okay, this is right or wrong. The order says, well, show me the receipts. For example, he's been accused in the New York case of overvaluing the buildings for loans and not reporting all the income. So one of the things you would need, what is Trump Tower worth? Well, you get an expert and the expert testifies it's worth X. Another expert feels it's worth something else. You never really know. And he was telling the insurance company one thing and the government another for the, the value of something, that's, right? That's one of the things. And then just like an IRS audit, they want all the support for it. One of the things they would do is they would check the bank statements and say, well, wait a minute, if you've deposited 100 million and you have 70 million on your return, what's the other 30 million? Is the other 30 million unreported income? It might be. Or it might be something as simple as he took a $30 million loan, which is not income, or he transferred from accounts, which is not income. Then we take a look at expenses. So with expenses, we have two areas. First, is the expense valid? So if he went ahead and took a vacation, like when you and I were tiny infants, and remember Leona Helmsley when she went to federal- Oh yeah, yeah, the, the, the hotel woman, right? The hotel, the, in New York, she was known, she advertised on TV in New York as the queen of mean, because she was really- Yeah, you know, I remember that. Well, anyway, what happened with her is she had a bunch of improvements done to her home in Connecticut, and she listed them on her tax return as repairs to the hotel in Manhattan. So if you just look at the return, you see repairs expense to hotel. There's nothing wrong with that, except when you go into the detail under it, you find out, well, wait a minute, it wasn't repairs to the hotel, it was to her house. Or you do something else, you, you put your friend on the books, and suppose you want to give your friend some money and you say, well, okay, you take a tax deduction by saying he's an employee. Well, he's not really an employee. So the, the bottom line is, yes, the returns can tell you things, but much like pulling sugar palms and just like doing an IRS audit, there's a lot more to it. You want to see the detail and there's a lot, if you're going to do it properly, there's a lot of work. What's all the detail coming up to those numbers? Because the tax return, you know, is a bunch of lines with numbers on it. But what's what's the detail there? Well, the will the IRS be working, do you think, with the, the um, uh, House committee that are looking at these? Uh, do they go back to Treasury? Well, now we get back into politics. And one of the things that maybe I should have opened with is which Congress are we talking about? Because the right, right, Congress right, better right. hurry up if they want to do something, because the next Congress might say, what is this waste of time? Why are you here? Put it all away. And that might happen, too. Six years is a lot to look through, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Also, you know, his returns aren't, he's not filing a 1040 EZ. His return is, and he has wages of $30,000 for the year. I mean, with all the business interest, his returns would just be layers and, la you know, legitimately someone of that wealth, the return would be very complex and there's all kinds of businesses. And then if you want to get fancy, you say, well, what about transfers between the businesses? And I won't get too technical, Sometimes that's fine and sometimes that's a problem. So, and an audit, like if someone was going to do a, a real audit, no ax to grind, just a, a real audit that was right or wrong, you would, you would need way longer than the amount of time this current Congress is going to be in power. So that's another thing. He might just say, okay, you know what? We'll just wait for the next Congress and they may have a, they're not interested. Um, part of this almost feels like it was a power play, Steve, uh, that they just wanted to prove that they could get hold of the taxes uh, and the returns. And by the time they go through all this, it seems to me that whatever else New York, Virginia, or the federal government's working with, whether it's January 6th or these documents in Mar-a-Lago, it seems to me that this thing is going to be trailing way behind, right? The way the, the forensic oh, audit. Absolutely. And, and again, you know, I know lots made in the news that he was the first candidate in a long time that didn't reveal his tax returns. But that's why a lot of good people don't want to go in politics because, you know, right. It, it, Chip, suppose somebody said, you know, we're going to offer you a job here at this <clears throat> TV or radio station, but we want to see your tax returns for a number of years. We're going to poke into all, all your stuff. You say, well, you know, that's really none of your business. Yeah. I just remember the time I got audited twice and the auditor the second time was really nice. She was and I got to see her just one day um, at the very end. And she said, you know what? We just want to know about the money you made that you didn't declare. 
you know, and they allowed me, I had a box full of receipts that the sun had made hard to see. And she says, just give me an estimation. But there's no way they would have done that with income, right? <laughs> That's a, give, and, and also, those were the old days, and you got very lucky. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I yeah. don't expect that today. Yeah. Uh, Steve, thank you so much, my friend. Great Always stuff. Thanks Catch so much. Steve Moskowitz, uh, Practical Tax, uh, every every week. You got a couple of them out there. Go to MoskowitzLLP.com or give them a call at 888 Be well, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Talk to you later. Again, that is tax attorney Steve Moskowitz. I am. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I am I, I, um, part of me wants to see Trump face the music right on every level that he could possibly face the music. But the other part just wants to move him down the road. You know, um, <laughs> we're going to get to this in just a couple of minutes. But I think one of the things that bothers me the most about Trump is the 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 odor. Right. I mean, if you go and you look at and, and, and try to get a, a sense of, of who and what's happening. I mean, nothing tells you more than, than this. You're right not here. a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well, I, I see, I, I see good things about Hitler. Also the Jew. That's the world we live in now. And that's what we're going to have to deal with. Uh, coming up a little bit later on in the show, we're going to speak to um, a, an advocate for uh, gun control uh, AR-15s. Been, like I said, there have been over 600 mass shootings in the U.S. so far this year. We'll talk about that with a representative from every town for Gun Safety Action Fund. A little bit later, an old friend of mine, Bill McCuddy, will join us. We'll talk about um, what the, what's happening with movies right now, because I, I, you know, there's so much good stuff streaming. I don't know why you would leave and go to a theater. Um, but let me just let's do something a little bit lighter here just for a second. I guess it's lighter unless, of course, you're a fan. I don't know if you saw the debacle around um, uh, Taylor Swift and these tickets. It was insane. Taylor Swift fans furious tonight over a Ticketmaster meltdown that will make it even harder to see the Eras Stadium tour. Ticketmaster says its system wasn't able to handle the millions of fans trying to get tickets. Now the company... To me... What else does Ticketmaster do? <laughs> they sell tickets. I would think that one would be prepared and excited about an event like Taylor Swift. I mean, that's how they make their money. Um, but, you know, in the whole concert world, which is, you know, not my world anymore, although I still go to shows, I mean, but I'm not going to go to an after. I mean, like, you know, I had a chance to go see Elton John and actually get pretty good seats. Um I don't want to go. I don't want to go out with, you know, 70,000 other people in an arena. And it has nothing to do with COVID. It's maybe just because I'm a I'm an old fart. Uh, Randy Nichols is a manor, uh, manager and agent. He's overseen record releases and sold out tours everywhere in the world, maybe with the exception of Antarctica. He's managed artists for a combined sales of over 5 million records and 20 million plus dollars in merchandise sales. Also leads growth and strategy for premium digital content platforms. And we invited him here to What the Franklin to try to get to the bottom of this. Randy, how's it going, buddy? Going all right. How about yourself? Good. Um, so what the hell happened with this whole Taylor Swift thing? And let's back up a little bit before we get to that and talk about um, when did Ticketmaster become the preeminent and pretty much the only place to go to get these tickets? So Ticketmaster kind of came into the market in the 80s where they flipped the script on how concert ticketing was run. Previously to them, there was a company called Ticketron. I remember and that. Ticketron was a service. Venues would pay the service of Ticketron to provide ticketing for their venues. A gentleman named Fred Rosen took over Ticketmaster and came in and went to venues and said, we will pay you for the right to ticket your venue. So they completely flipped the script. And what they did is they go, all right, rather than you paying Ticketron a dollar, we'll pay you a dollar but we'll charge the fan $2 in a service fee on top. And that is where the service fee came from. And that has, is how Ticketmaster gained their dominance because ticket, ticketing went from a cost to a revenue stream. Wow. Um, don't some artists hold some tickets back to sell on their own and to try to get around that? Does, does Ticketmaster um, fight against that? So Ticketmaster has in the past had varying leadership around their artist music team where some teams are more friendly to artists selling tickets on their own. And typically what the rule has been over the last several years and has been 
much friendlier than years past is that artists can sell 8% of their tickets to an approved fan club. And that allows them to get around some of those fees, but there are still some fees because at the end of the day, something a lot of people don't realize is the customer of the ticketing company is really the venue and not the fan. So some of these fees, the venue is choosing whether to waive rather than Ticketmaster themselves. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's say a Bruce Springsteen concert um, is at a, a fifty thousand seat arena. Is that too big? Let's say thirty thousand seat arena. Yeah. Let's like yeah. Right. Like twenty arenas usually up to twenty thousand, and stadiums you're getting like fifty. Okay. So let's say twenty five thousand seat arena. Bruce Springsteen. He's not the nineteen eighty five Bruce Springsteen, but still really popular. Um, it's going to be sold out. Um, what is the average ticket price for an event like that? So you're seeing a massive increase in ticket prices over the last few years. And a Springsteen ticket, I think a starting ticket is probably around the $200 range wow. at this point. Okay, so and 200 times uh, 25,000. Um, what percentage of that goes to the artist? What percentage of that goes to the venue? What percentage of that goes to Ticketmaster? So what will Ticketmaster so, make in something like that? So Ticketmaster, the only money that Ticket... Actually, we should take a step back. If... Live Nation Ticketmaster is the promoter. Then they're making the corporation of Live Nation Ticketmaster is making money on both sides as the ticketing company and the promoter. Gotcha. But, and let's back up a second. Tell people yeah. what that means. So they'll say uh, Springsteen will come to them and say, "We want to play this venue," and they'll say, "All right." So here's the deal. Um, here's what, I mean, Spring, does Springsteen get the call? What he wants to charge and say? Here's yeah. The so basically, what the way it'll work is Springsteen will go to the promoter. His agent will go to the promoter say, we want to play this date, we want a million dollars to play the show. Then they sit there and do the math that you were just trying to do and go, okay, well, if you need a million dollars, we need to charge $198 a ticket to get you to that number. And that's how the ticket price is established. And then that ticket price is then agreed to by promoter and artist team. And then you go to Ticketmaster and say, we're charging XYZ for the ticket. And then Ticketmaster will say, based on our deal with the venue, this is the fee for that ticket. How, how many of the tickets that are purchased for an event like that? Let's let's go back to the, the big story today. We're burying the lead with Taylor Swift. We're talking to Randy Nichols, uh, who has spent years in this business. Um, so Taylor Swift uh, announces these dates, right? Tickets go on sale, uh, a huge fan base, an amazing artist. Um, the whole thing blows up. Was it foreseeable? Uh, what went wrong and and what does that mean for like uh, future events? Because we also know that so many of these tickets, if they're bought, purchased for 200, end up online for 500 or $1,000. Um, what went wrong with Ticketmaster here and how bad is the scalping end of this? Yeah, so a few things went wrong. One, they increased the number of shows they put on sale that they initially were putting on sale. Ticketmaster used a program called Verified Fan which looks at fans, uses analytical data to decide who are the real fans and the biggest fans so that the tickets don't end up in the hands of the scalpers. So they had an idea of how, many, how much the demand was from doing this. And they initially announced about 25 shows, doubled that number to 50. But they didn't expand the amount of time that the tickets were going on sale. They put all 50 shows on sale at once. They probably should have spread that out over either a couple of hours at least or a couple of days. So 50 shows weren't going on sale at once because you may be familiar with a term called a denial of service attack sure. on an internet provider. So they almost had what I would consider a denial of service attack on themselves because you have the fans trying to buy these tickets. But on top of that, you talk about the scalpers. The scalpers build these bots who can make thousands of attempts to buy tickets in a second. So you have these legitimate fans who got codes through this verified fan system and are in a queue trying to buy them in an organized fashion that Ticketmaster created, while these scalpers are literally creating denial of service attacks, hoping that they're going to trick the system and get the tickets ahead of the fans. It's insane. That, yeah. That said, the vast majority of the tickets went to fans. When you AB two stadium shows in the same stadium, with an artist that used the verified fan like Taylor and one that didn't. There's substantially less scalper tickets available, but a verified fan still has the right to buy a ticket and flip it. So there are some available there. 
Randy, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's easy to understand. It's confusing at the same time. I think exactly. looking forward. I, thank you so much for your time, buddy. I really appreciate it. Okay. Cool. Thanks for having me. Great. Take care, guy. Again, uh, that's the latest on on the Ticketmaster fiasco and and where it was headed. Um, obviously, it's an age thing. Although I still want to go out and see shows. You know, I mean, I um things like Hamilton and they they have a lot of the same issues. You know, when you purchase tickets, the idea of um, I, I got Hamilton tickets in San Francisco, so I, I didn't get to see uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, but I did. It was early on in the thing. And I think I spent for four tickets. I think I spent twenty five hundred dollars and I it was a lot of money. It was worth every penny, I guess. But um, I just get I get it. You know, this is what's changed in music since I was a kid and playing in bands and traveling um, back in the day you would put an album out and you would tour to support the album. You would maybe break even on the tour and hopefully get record sales. Today, it's the exact opposite. Today, uh, because the, you know, the record business is so upside down, uh, you go out on the road to make money. And that's a big part of this. To date myself, I saw the Rolling Stones at DC Stadium before it was even called RFK when I was about 10. I went with my sisters and I remember it was $2.00. Go see the Rolling Stones. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, switching gears here. Uh, we live in an incredibly violent world. And people will tell you that that means they're violent people, no doubt. But it's a lot easier to be violent when you have an AR-15. On this Thanksgiving Eve, America is reckoning with the violence that is tearing at the national fabric. This afternoon, four high school students shot in Philly. Every week, nearly 13 mass shootings. So many, we too often forget those that happened last week or last month. 21 children and teachers killed in Uvalde, Texas. 10 people gunned down in a Buffalo grocery store. Five in Raleigh, four in Memphis, four in Tulsa, six in Sacramento. The list is excruciatingly long. We know. So the question, of course, here is what do we do? Um, uh, there are more guns than, than human beings in this country and actually twice as many guns as there are adults over 21. Um, and, you know, we, we hear these stories of, um, well, like the, the, the latest mass shooting uh, uh, at the Q Club in Colorado Springs. There were, this is a guy that had threatened to blow up his mother. I'm not kidding. And, and had a standoff with police, an armed standoff with police just a few years ago. How does this guy get weapons? And, and I think this comes down to local issues. In other words, how do we make sure that we can protect our neighborhoods? And I know that I've seen this in my, my neighborhood in Lafayette, uh, which is a suburb of San Francisco. And uh, uh, groups came together. They, uh, there was a lot of action. But the truth is, if you don't have red flag laws where people can report somebody they think is violent and I'm not sure I even think that works. I just know that we have to do something, right? Uh, joining us right now, nice enough to be with us here, is Rudy Espinoza from Moms Demand Action, uh, this group, Every Town for Gun Safety Action Fund, uh, all part of this, this mission to, to make lives safer and especially young people's lives. Rudy, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chip. Happy to be here with you. Um, what is the, the, the greatest issue facing uh, American, small American towns today? Um, big cities have a couple issues, and obviously some of that is, is crime in, in a city. But, but smaller towns, and many of these shootings happen in these smaller towns. What can they do? What are they doing to try to make their communities safer? Chip, uh, you're asking a really big question, right? Uh, gun violence prevention takes a lot of work. Uh, and f coming from multiple angles, right? You were talking about one. And when we talk about the local level, that is one of the best ways in which we can work to protect people from gun violence. That's interesting because that, that wouldn't be my first instinct that I would think it would be like a congressional action. How do, how do local communities do it? Well, it's important. You were just talking about what happened uh, in Colorado Springs. They have red flag laws, but the county sheriff has refused uh, to enforce the laws, uh, and they actually consider themselves a Second Amendment sanctuary county, right? So at the local level, when you have a sheriff that won't protect its people by enforcing a red flag law, 
uh, like in El Paso County in Colorado Springs, in, in Colorado, uh, we see that people uh, lose the option, right, to, to, for protection. So we think about what happened uh, in Club Q. If the police department had been alerted about this person and if the sheriff had followed through, that would not have happened, right? So we know that red flag laws work. Uh, we just need to make sure that folks are on board uh, in the community at all levels uh, so that we're protecting people. So red flag laws, for those who don't know, uh, is when a family member or someone close to someone, they see this exhibiting uh, violent tendencies or making threats, they can report them um, and the law enforcement can come and, and question them, essentially. Is that it? That's right. Okay. Uh, and they go by different names in different states. Some, you know, call it extreme risk laws. Uh, in California, it's a gun violence uh, prevention restraining uh, a GVRO, gun violence restraining order, uh, red flag laws, right? They come by different names, but they all essentially do the same thing, right? If there's someone is at risk of hurting themselves or others and they own a weapon, uh, then they can report it and that weapon can be temporarily taken away. So that's the key thing, right? It's, tempor it's temporary um, until it's determined that they can have their gun back. Have we given up trying to ban the sale of AR-15s? Does that seem like that that's just for another time that we're not going to reach that now? No, I, I think that there are a lot of us in the gun violence prevention movement that are in agreement that we need to ban assault rifles uh, and that it, we have to continue doing other work, right? So it, it, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's not just like one easy solution to gun violence, to any gun violence, but instead there are so many different things uh, you know, an assault weapons ban is something important and they would minimize uh, the impact that they have when they're used in a mass shooting. Uh, that's one way. But there's so much more work that we need to continue doing uh, along with along with that ban. So yes, we definitely support as, as an organization and as a movement, the banning of assault uh, weapons like NL-15. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot more work that we can do, right? Like making sure that these red flag laws are implemented correctly so that they protect people. 600 mass shootings, it's basically two a day. Um, and, and obviously in many of these cases, we, you know, I, I love it when I hear that we're gonna make a school area a, a non-gun zone, like I said, which is to me ridiculous because obviously the people that do this don't give a damn about that. And it's, it's part of the politics of this that, that upsets me is that these are people armed with high powered weapons uh, going into schools and indiscriminately killing people. Um, to me, that's that is a um, that's a fire in, in the middle of the house, and and we're pretending like we can you know we can uh, put fireproof windows up. It's already inside. It's a horrible metaphor, but I guess my point is is that we there are so many guns out there and so many unstable people with access to them that it seems to me that local legislation as well-intentioned as it is, can only be a small part of what we have to do. And that we should be talking about this literally every day. We, we should, Chip, we should be talking about, we should be talking about this every day and at all levels, local, state, and federal. Uh, it has to happen that way. Otherwise, we're going to continue seeing the number of deaths that we're seeing, the number of, of killings because by guns that we keep seeing, right? Uh, California is a great example of seeing gun laws being passed, implemented, and then reducing gun deaths. Um, when we think about how gun violence has increased over the last few years in the US, the country has seen gun violence increase by 30 plus percent. However, in California, we've only seen it grow a little bit over 10%, around 10%. So what that tells us is that gun laws work, gun laws keep people safer. Imagine if, in the country, we had only seen a 10% increase over a 33% increase. Of course, we'd rather see zero or a reduction, but how many lives would have been saved if we had decreased the increase of gun violence? And we, we look at California, Governor Newsom in 2022 just passed a package of eight bills um, that are meant to protect people. They are about public safety. Gun violence prevention, gun safety is public safety. So we have to remind ourselves that we cannot let the constant cycle of news media, of news on mass shootings make us numb. Yeah. We, have, we, have to, we have to continue this fight. It doesn't end. 
I, I think we need to embarrass politicians. We, um, I think we need to hear uh, more families, you know, from Newtown, uh, from Columbine to, to you know, to um, Colorado Springs. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, you, it's, it's no surprise that states that have fewer gun restrictions have greater violent crime. Uh, and, and it's, you know, and, and people love, uh, you know, the politics of this. I have to discuss. I have to discuss the Republicans pull that Second Amendment stuff. And when the Second Amendment was, you know, penned by Madison, it took a minute to load a, a, a musket and to shoot one one bullet. Of course, we know the damage that an AR-15 or even a even a handgun can do today. You know, it's it's incredible. And and for them, uh, for any politician to pretend like that this is an issue uh, uh, of, of mental health solely or it's a issue, an issue of of you know, law enforcement is, is, is insane. Well, they're a liar and they know it. They know that's not the issue. Chip, you're right. There, there is no like one issue that you can point to, right? It, it's multiple issues. And, and I will say this, the passing of the bipartisan uh, Safer Communities Act this summer was a big deal, right? It, almost 30 years since we saw any gun legislation at the federal level. I was present at the signing this summer. I, I was one of the, the privileged few. They got to see, you know, President Biden, uh, along with Republican and Democratic senators uh, working side by side to get something done. Of course, there needs to be more done, right? Let me say that. There needs to be more done. And what happened this summer was a huge step forward, right? We're seeing the Overton window moving on gun violence prevention. Ten years ago, any politician talking about gun violence prevention or gun safety would have probably lost an election no matter what party, Democrat or Republican. We have shifted the narrative because the data is out there. Gun safety laws equal public safety, equal safe, safer communities, right? And that is a fact. Yeah. While respecting the Second Amendment, let's, re let's remember that, right? We're, like, we're not arguing that we should get rid of I'm not saying let's get rid of the Second Amendment. I'm not saying people shouldn't be able to own guns. Is what you said earlier is that it should not fall into the wrong hands. That's what we're worried about. Well, I mean, it's inevitable they're going to fall. When you got 400 million guns, yes, uh, I mean, they're going to fall in wrong hands. And, you, and again, you have gun shows and all these places. You just can't restrict any of it. Rudy, we come back and talk again, please, my friend. I, I would love that. Thank you. You did a good job through all that choppiness. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank see you, buddy. Uh, that's, of course, the nature of 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 this business right now with um, trying to trying to keep guns and trying to keep people uh, who would use guns uh, uh, apart from each other. It's It's impossible be honest uh ar-15s there's no reason why uh, an american or anybody else in this country should have an ar-15 but but the second no the second amendment that's not what it's about uh, we can have that argument some other time um all right um this next uh, guest is an old friend of mine and i mean old and he's been doing this a long time he is an entertainment reporter and pbs movie critic he contributes to new york post and to um this other site that I think he gave me the wrong numbers on, and we'll have to talk to him again. My old friend, Bill McCuddy. Hello, Mr. McCuddy. How are you, buddy? I'm good. It's goldderby.com, which is yeah. the industry leader in tracking everything that has to do with the awards season. And man, are they sending me everything? We'll talk about that. Wow. Yeah, critics, you guys, it's, uh, I remember um, <laughs> McCuddy right there. Bill McCuddy is his name. I'll, I'll fix that for you while we talk. Hey, um, let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, movies right now the the health of of films and theaters i i don't need to leave the house man there's so much great stuff streaming and and i know everybody says oh we'll go back to the the movies but you know and again covid's not done yet and and we'll probably have another couple of years before people feel entirely safe about being in crowds again um but have theaters i mean streaming works so well and i'd rather invest you know, this money, this every time I go out and spend one hundred and twenty dollars to go to a movie now, which is right. not insane. If you go to these Cineplex places where you can buy beer and, and food and all, um, I can do that at home. What's where are we? Well, the, the big problem, too, is for kids that came through the pandemic. They learned that the movies they want to see aren't at the theaters. They're being streamed directly through a couple of different Disney platforms. And so uh, an opening movie like The Strange this weekend is doing horribly at the box office. They're going to lose a lot of money on it. The answer to your question is over last year, when we made about $4.5 billion at the box office, we're on track now to do about $8 billion this year. And that's an improvement, but it's nowhere near, let's say, 19 or 
20 billion that they did a few years ago. So yes, the trend is going down. People are watching more stuff at home, but they are showing up for things like Top Gun, which is 1 billion or so of that uh, $8 billion this year. So if they're given the right reason, Dr. Strange, uh, Jurassic World, The Dominion, or even the new Black Panther, they will come back to the theaters, but not in the huge numbers that they have in years past, not so far. So I heard Matt Damon talking about this, Sam, without DVD sales and now without, um, you know, some of the theater big numbers, right? Um, we're not going to be able to see those movies, you know, with Emma Thompson and Gwyneth Paltrow period pieces from Jane Austen novels. They're dead, except for like, you know, some, I mean, they're not still- dead. They're just finding a different place and they're going to a different outlet. Netflix was buying all of those movies until a few months ago. And that's a train that's running 110 miles an hour over a brick wall. I mean, that it's that business model has to start making money or they can't just keep buying everything. But uh, but you're right. I mean, there are no art house movie theaters anymore, not with a few very except uh, very few exceptions. Uh, you can't go see a little independent movie. That's okay if you're used to seeing uh, movies that don't need a big screen, and Hollywood would be very upset with me for saying that, but the truth is we're watching more documentaries uh, in the last couple of years that we ever, than we ever did. There's more interest in that. And as you said, we're watching the all the best movies are on TV. So Well, short- Taylor, to me, Taylor, Taylor Sheridan has totally flipped the the lid on quality uh, television experience. I think 1883 stands up to almost anything I've seen in the past 30 years. Um, It was so well-written and so well done. And Yellowstone is is drawing about eight and a half million people uh, a week, which is unheard of on a And it's not even his best stuff. I mean, that particular guy, this Taylor Sheridan, uh, mayor of Kingstown with Jeremy Renner, which is getting nowhere near the press because of the violence and the intensity of it, um, is amazing. I mean, and I think that it's it's the the, the character that plays Beth on Yellowstone. I mean, what an amazing you can't take your eyes off that person when she's on screen for people that haven't seen Yellowstone. It's, um, you know, go what is it at this fourth season or third or fourth season? This is entering its fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think about the what that offers us that that um, that movies don't is to really get to know these characters. Well, that's Chip. That's exactly what actors, directors and writers are telling me when I sit down with them and ask them, uh, you know, when they're going to get back to the movies. They love the opportunity, let's say, on a White Lotus for an F. Murray Abraham, who I spoke to the other day to have like eight episodes, seven in the case of the second season of White Lotus. But they get more time to develop their characters. There's not. They, they don't go to the film and see a lot of their best scenes on the editing room floor. Uh, so unless it's bloated and doesn't need to be told over a, a longer period of time, the stigma that was attached to television, you know, uh, years ago, like George Clooney was on ER, so he'll never be a movie star. That's all gone. I got to tell you a story. Um, so we go back more than 30 years, way back. And uh, when I was you, when you were on, I was in Baltimore doing a story about light poles that had been stolen. Somebody was stealing light pole. I'm not kidding. Like 40 foot light pole. Somebody had stolen like 80 of them. In, in, or something, right? Yeah, right. Off. And so I had a picture of me standing next to the light pole. And you told me the next time you're on television, because I did your show, which was um, Fox. What is it? Yeah, the yeah it was before Fox got crazy. You, back when, because you're not crazy. And, <laughs> and you said, next time you do this, um, say you're, that's Nan Coulter standing next to me. And I did it a couple times. I was on like 10 shows. I did it on CNN, right? So how many years ago was this? That had to be 20 years ago about, right? Ann Coulter's still skinny, so it could have been last okay. week. Uh, All right, so I'm calling her to get her on the show, and we're on the phone, and she says to me, she goes, I still remember that joke you made about me with the light pole. And I go, that was Bill McCuddy's fault. Oh. He wrote the joke. Appreciate that. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, all right. So we can find all your stuff. I want to start doing. Can you start doing this regularly? I'd love to come on Fridays and let's talk movies. Uh, sure, be my pleasure. Uh, <laughs> you always say that, then you're hard to find, my friend. Uh, no, no. I come and visit me and say, so we can talk about that in the weeks to come. All right, buddy. Let's go play golf again soon. I'll see you soon. Okay. Okay. Sure. I okay, need find the- Bill McCuddy uh, again, entertainment reporter. You can see him a uh, PBS movie critic. Uh, at goldderby.com. He's the industry source for all that movie stuff. Uh, joining me right now is the uh, the one and only uh, Mark Thompson. His show kicks off wow. momentarily. Hello, only. Mr. Thompson. Terrific. Good to talk to you, Chip. I uh, got uh, Rick Wilson coming on the show today along with Joe Walsh. going to be a great, great show. We're uh, 
No, I got those guests off your list. I I can't even I couldn't get those guys on a call if I was um if I was bleeding out on the street. Oh, I am great guests. I'm so impressed with your uh with your guests. Uh guess I've done I a bunch week. of stuff for a Lincoln project, a bunch of voiceover next stuff week, for Next week, guess who I have on next week? I have uh Eric Swalwell. Wow. I couldn't even get Eric Swalwell on as a phoner on KGO. He was a on with the time. Yeah. Eric's I, I, that's really guy. great. Really yeah, you got to just kiss ass. You're not good at kissing ass. I kiss I'm not a, I don't have the schmooze ass. in me. I don't have the schmooze in me, but it's really cool. I love uh, I love what you do and you move them through, you know, it, you have a good pace to things, so good for you. For people that haven't seen your show, Mark Thompson show, uh go to YouTube, check it out, the Mark Thompson show. It starts in about 5 minutes and it's it's great stuff. You I mean, you have and by the way, if you haven't heard this voice, you must have been in a, in a closet for the last 30 years. Yeah. Where, where do we hear your <laughs> it's voice? A, it's a, yeah. I mean, I do, I do NASCAR and I do, um, uh, I've done a bunch of, let me hear, yeah, give me yeah, a exactly. I know um, that's not NASCAR, you know, but no, yeah. NASCAR this Saturday, the Daytona 500 has nothing on NASCAR. You know, the, the, um, see, I have a, I have that nasal Midwest. You sound style. great. I, you, you'd be surprised. I mean, my voice is a very particular kind. I have a very sort of big voice, like ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chip Franklin, you know, it's very, it's very big, but what is oftentimes the, the commercials want something that's more like our everyman voice like yours, which is great. So I have to take a lot of, <laughs> no, I, I, it, it, it's, that's they, what <laughs> they go through all the talent and they go back to the guy that has none. See, that's how I, I uh, on Fridays. We do uh Friday, fabulous Florida on my show. I do politics and I also do, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that's not politics and it's, and, and you do that as well, but I'm just saying I have a lot of franchises that are kind of just fun and weird and sometimes silly, I know. But uh, anyway, Friday Fabulous Florida is news from, as you might imagine, the Sunshine State. Then at 11, we really jump into politics. It's been a big week for Trump, as you know, as you mentioned on, on your show. Uh, taxes, the special master thrown out. Also, I want to talk about moving up the primaries. I have two brilliant political analysts, uh, Jim Avila, former senior correspondent for ABC, White House correspondent for years, and uh, and Michael Shore, TYT commentator and from News Nation. So I'm excited about talking to them about that. And then Michael Snyder, the culture blaster, comes in, we talk movies. So that's my show ahead. By the way, Jefferson Graham, who does photo walks, his dad, do you remember Jerry Graham in the Bay Area? I don't know if you were in the Bay Area then. No, but I know the name. Yeah, Jerry Graham was just a brilliant fixture on the Bay, in, on the Bay Area scene. He did a show called Bay Area Backroads. His son now has a really popular YouTube channel, and it's on Tubi, and it's all these other places. And, uh, and he has photo walks, and he... What you can do with an iPhone is amazing, and oh, he shares yeah, it with right? our viewers. So anyway, he's premiering a, an iPhone video shot uh, in Paris. It's all the stuff of, that's Parisian and magnificent, so that happens today as well. So it's a lot of stuff uh, coming up in a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah you get. Uh, I love your ideas. I love especially the, the crime stuff you do. I'm, I'm going to try to start a segment called Pod on Pod where I talk about some other cool podcasts, and I, I really love these these guys that the, the unsolved because uh, some of these podcasts have actually solved crimes. Damn you know? right, damn. Yeah. I mean, a high profile. Yes. Yeah, and, 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 it, um, yeah. and I, you know, the police really don't. People think that you know, we always sit on TV where the cops, you know, are like you know, stay out of your lane. But cops still love it. If you can bring information to cops, I mean, they don't want you out there chasing armed people. You know, with, right? With uh, although it's funny, I had Josh Mankowitz from Dateline on my show, and he we talked about this, and he said uh, it's. When you're a private detective and you come in to the cops and you say, hey, I've got something for you, they're going, yeah, yeah. Why don't yeah. you go work out in divorcees or something? We got <laughs> we got this. So there can be a little bit of you know jurisdictional arrogance that can settle in yeah. uh, occasionally. But you're right. Those cases, look, uh, these cases are oftentimes reanimated by the online community even you know so you really uh, we do a segment called a uh, mark's murder mystery monday that's and what i love so, that's yeah. i've heard that one that's great yeah one. that's how my girlfriend uh, does it courtney and she's she's a huge she's into all that stuff that real crime stuff Aren't so you a little old to have girlfriends make i don't know how, what, just, what do you say Ooh, partner man. we've been together for eight years it's like a goldie hawn thing what do you call you know what i mean goldie you know, hawn, i'm marrying somebody tomorrow i'm an officiant tomorrow i've done it five times now Look at you! Must be good. You're so getting you the got my stuff. number, baby. If you guys, if, got, you, if you want to pop the question, I'm the it guy. Make, it may happen. It may happen. Uh, I got to go jam. To I know my, you got to do a show. Go the Mark Thompson show. show. Come join us. We'll see you next time, Chip. Thank you, pal. Uh, very funny guy. I, I, he's all for all his self-deprecation. It's an amazing show. 
Um, all right. Thank you for watching. And please follow me on uh, here. I know that um, this show is only in its second week and I'm, we're still building numbers. Uh, but, you know, I'm confident I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to do this Monday through Friday at 9, 9 a.m. every day and trying to get you the best guests and the best, you know, best news and commentary all surrounding that. You can go to whatthefranklin.com uh, or the YouTube channel with my name, Chip Franklin. And please. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter. And if you if you're on Twitter, uh, let me know and I'll follow you back. Okay. That's my new thing to, to screw Elon Musk. I'm not going to, I'm just going to all the friends that want to follow me. And I have a lot of followers. I've lost about 20,000 during this whole thing. And I think a lot of them were bots and I don't know what's going on with Twitter, but I'm not going anywhere right now. So if you're on Twitter, follow me again, please subscribe here, hit the bell. So you know, when the next thing's happening and you guys have a wonderful weekend. I really appreciate you being here until then. We shall overcome. Yes, we can. Person, woman, man, camera, TV. What the f is wrong with you?